Will you turn with me to Deuteronomy 31, please? And we're really moving now. We'll do all 31 this week and 32 next week. And if you're wondering, as we read this and as I preach, why aren't you talking about the song? Well, that's next week. The song's next week. Lots of the song next week. But for this week, chapter 31. Which reads, after we've just heard about all the covenant and Moses' altar call, commit to the covenant, and now we continue with the story. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go out or come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you, so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head, as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you. And you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the feast of booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children, who have not known it, may hear, and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting, that I may commission him. Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting, and the Lord appeared in the tent, in a pillar of cloud. And the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you're about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. And I will forsake them and hide my face from them. And they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. Now therefore, write this song, and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat. They will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. 
And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness. For it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know that they're inclined to do even today, what they are inclined to do even today, before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give them. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take this book of the law, put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today while I'm yet alive with you, you've been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, as we hear you speaking to your people, as we watch you, as you give them each thing that they need in turn, uh, us too, Lord, we have need of your presence, we have need of your word, we have need of your leader, we have, we have need of strength and courage. We pray, Lord, that you'd fill us with all of these good things that even tonight, even through the preaching of your word, through all the things you've already given us, Lord, open our hearts, open our minds to see and to realize, and Lord, at the end of all this, may we fear, may we do, even as we ought, more and more by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'll say from the start, there's something that you can depend on about God, and that's whenever he calls you to do something difficult for him, he will give you exactly what you need to do it. Hasn't that always been the case for us as a church? Uh, Somebody in our church, they come into a dark season, and then he sends a a close friend, a a kind doctor, an attentive elder, uh, whatever you need, he he gives it. Or we get to the place where, I remember our session meeting, we came to a place we thought, we don't know what to do with our aging campus, and then he brought us new elders for new strength, he brought us a large gift, he brought us a deacon who works in construction management, And I know I've seen this kind of thing happen over and over again in just 10 years of ministry. This is exactly what we're seeing in our passage tonight. At this point in our story, the Lord knows that his people will face some pretty big difficulties as they enter into the land, and so he gives them three things. Three things to give them new strength, give them the courage that they need. He gives them everything they need when they need it. So that's how we'll use our time tonight. First, we'll just look at the the difficulties that Israel faced. Here's the big difficulties they had at this juncture, and then we'll look at three things that God gave his people to build up their strength, to build up their courage for the thing that he's bringing, and then we'll wrap up all this by talking about how does this carry over for us today. Those three things. So let's start first with the difficulties, the difficulties that Israel faced, the new fresh challenges at this juncture. So for our first point, I I wonder if you've ever noticed 
Uh, things always seem to get harder the closer you're getting to something you're looking forward to. I don't know if it's just psychological or what, but like it's those last couple days before a vacation that work gets really slammed, right? Or it's when you're finally about to crash on the couch at the end of the night, and uh, that's when your kid comes downstairs with a fever, or when your cat throws up, or whatever. These might have been things that happened to me this week while I was writing this. And it's definitely the case for Israel. Uh, at this point, they're standing in Moab. They're waiting to go into the promised land. Uh, the law has all been given. They've committed to this law. And then, and then that's when God says things are actually going to be pretty hard for you. And I count two hard things that pop up in this passage, two immensely hard things. First, the people are about to lose Moses. Now, I don't think we actually realize what a big deal that would have been. Uh, this is a big deal because of the, the magnitude of, of leader that Moses was. Moses is a giant in the Old Testament. Uh, he's a giant in the scope of all world religions. On the one hand, he's educated by the Egyptian elites of his days. He's got the best education you could ever possibly hope to imagine. On the other hand, though, he chose mistreatment with the people of God over the fleeting pleasures of sin. He's remarkable. On the, on the one hand, God calls him the meekest man on the face of the earth. God says that. And yet he's bold enough to challenge Pharaoh to his face, uh, the world's superpower, and in Exodus it says he even spoke with God face to face like a man speaks with his friend. So when the people lose Moses, they're, lo they're losing an immense leader. But not only is it terrible to lose Moses personally because of the kind of man that he was, but it's also a big deal because of the role that Moses filled. Uh, understand, Moses is Israel's mediator. He's their go-between. He speaks to God on behalf of man, and he speaks to man on behalf of God. So he's the one that, that meets with God on behalf of his people because the people are too scared of God. He's the one that prays to God to get his people forgiveness when his people have blown it. He's the one through whom God speaks to his people. God uses Moses to teach his people, to guide his people, to give his people victory in battle. And so the loss of Moses as a mediator, this is an unspeakable loss. They're probably thinking at this point, who can fill those shoes? Who can do what we need done? That's the first thing that Israel faced, this hard thing here at the end of Deuteronomy, that they're about to enter the land. The second thing they faced, not only are they losing their leader at this critical juncture, they're also facing fierce enemies, like a lot of fierce enemies. So on the one hand, Israel's facing fierce enemies on the outside. They're going into a land with millions of people that live there, people who are evil. They're sacrificing their own kids to demons, kind of evil. People who are warlike, uh, they're well-armed, they're well-fortified. People who would unite in opposition to Israel, they already heard about Israel, they already don't like Israel. They're already sharpening their blades. I can't imagine how daunting it would be to have a situation like that. You know you're called to conquer dozens of nations while being untrained and poorly armed. Israel's facing terrifying enemies on the outside. Even worse, they face an even more dangerous enemy on the inside. They're facing the enemy of their own heart. I think it's true. I think the most dangerous enemy that you face in the Christian life is the sin of your own heart. 
So in the second half of this chapter, God tells Moses, he already knows that that Israel's going to blow it. He already knows. You look there at verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, behold, you're about to lie down with your fathers, but then this people will rise. They'll whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they're entering. They'll forsake me and break my, God says, I already know, they're going to break the covenant. They're going to go after other gods. Verse 21, God says, he actually sees this inclination in their heart. He sees this impulse, this seed in their heart, even before he, they move a muscle to the promised land. Verse 27, Moses says, I know how stubborn and rebellious you are while I'm alive. Imagine when I'm dead. So yeah, as terrifying as the enemies were on the outside, that's enough. They're nothing compared to the enemy that Israel faced on the inside. Suffice it to say, Israel faced enormous difficulties as they're getting ready to enter into the promise. So that's our first point. Big difficulties at the end of Deuteronomy. Big difficulties going into Joshua. But thankfully for our next point, whenever God gives his people something hard, he always gives his people exactly what they need for that hard thing. I actually count three things that God gives his people in this passage that are meant to give them strength and courage. He says, be strong and courageous, but he he gives them things to make them strong and courageous. So first, he gives them a new leader. God's people need a good man to lead them. That's exactly what God gave them in Joshua. Remember, Joshua is also a remarkable man. Joshua has been with them a long time. He was there in Egypt. He was there through the Exodus. He was there in the wilderness. He was there at Moses' side through all the wonders, watching these wonders, witnessing these wonders. He's actually one of the only people that was there for any of these things because God killed all of the other previous generation except for a chosen few. Because, and he does this because Joshua's a man of faith. He trusts God when the other spies didn't. He's a valiant warrior. He's already leading God's armies. And so God gave his people a really great leader in Joshua. And more than needing just a good man, they needed a a new mediator. They needed a mediator for their day, a mediator for the new challenges that they're about to face. They needed someone to represent God to his people and people to God. But what's more, they also need a special kind of mediator that can lead them to victory over God's enemies and then bring them into the land. That's exactly what he gave them in Joshua. He promises this. He tells Joshua, verse 7, "'You shall go with this people into the land.'" that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. Joshua would be used by God to lead the people to victory, and then he'd help them divvy up the land after they'd finished. That's what the whole book of Joshua, there's the summary of the book of Joshua that I preached many years ago. All this to say, they're facing a leadership vacuum. They're facing all kinds of enemies on the outside. So God gave his people a Joshua because God gave his people a great leader. That's the first thing he gives them. Second, God gave his people scriptures. So not only would God's people need a leader to lead them to victory against enemies on the outside, they'd also need something to shore them up against their enemy on the inside. So God gave them scriptures. Look at verse 9. And Moses wrote this law, gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. You read a little further. God has a plan for these scriptures. It's that they'd be read in their entirety to all the people of Israel every seven years. 
There's actually a lot of really neat things baked into this plan that God gives. Actually, I'll say eight first. The scriptures are preserved in written form. That's important. Second, the scriptures are protected in the sanctuary of God. They're protected. Third, the scriptures are committed to leaders who are supposed to know them and share them. Fourth, the scriptures are shared regularly at least every seven years. We know what the role of the priest was more than that. Fifth, the scriptures are shared widely with every member of the covenant, the old, the young, the very young, the sojourner. Uh, sixth, the scriptures are shared generationally. Moses makes a big deal. Teach this to your children. Lost count. Seventh, uh, scriptures would be shared with the heart in mind. They're intended to help God's people fear the Lord, make a deep impression, not a surface impression, a deep impression. And then eighth, the scriptures are shared for practical purposes. He said so that you can do it. So they're preserved in written form, protected in a sanctuary, committed to leaders. They're shared regularly, shared widely, shared generationally, shared with the heart and mind, shared for practical purposes. And if you think about this, this little formula, you think, oh, this is something we already do. Well, they didn't have scriptures yet. Here's the scriptures for them. And you think about what an inestimable help it would have been to have scriptures, to have it written down, to have it as a part of the fabric of your society Think about how crucial this would be for a people who are facing the threat of their own sin. God says, I know what you're going to do. You're going to blow all of this. And he says, well, here are scriptures. Here's a witness. Here, is the, here it is written down. Scriptures, a constant reminder. This is who God is. This is everything God's done for you. And this is what he expects from you. So how necessary the scriptures are for keeping close to God, for keeping far from sin, keeping close to God. You know this already. This is your bread and butter. How necessary scriptures like these would be for returning to God after the people had already blown it, like he knew they would. I think I'll say one more thing about these scriptures before I leave this point. I find this passage really encouraging because of how powerfully it blasts some of the lies of theological liberalism. So, a little bit about me, I was educated in an environment that insisted, everybody I knew, insisted that Moses didn't write any of these things like this says. They say things like, well, you know, the Israelites, they weren't advanced enough to have written language. Read this and go, really? Uh, or, of course, the Old Testament was, it was just an oral tradition that just got messed up through the ages, and, and it got edited over time, they'll say. Or, they'll say, Deuteronomy wasn't written by Moses, it was written by over five other different people, uh, long after the fact, and over and, all, over and against all of this, you see what this says. It says, Moses wrote this law, and then his people stored it up, transmitted it, kept it, generationally, whether this is referring just to the book of Deuteronomy being written here, or the whole Torah, hard to say, but doesn't matter to me. The fact of the matter is, Moses is the author, and uh, he was writing this stuff down. And in case you're wondering, oh, did Moses, who wrote this? He says, Moses wrote this law down. So yeah, second of all, God gave his people scriptures. Gave them that wonderful leader, new mediator, right for the right time that they needed. He gave his people the scriptures. And then third, and most importantly, we saved the best for last. What else did God give his people strengthen them, to encourage them. God gave his people 
himself. You can imagine you're an Israelite. Moses says, I'm about to die. And one of the biggest questions that you have on your brain is, well, does this, is God still going to be with us? Because the most important thing for God's people is that God's with them. And remember, Moses was the one who brought God's voice to them in the first place. He said, God, who should I tell them is speaking? He told them the name of God. He spoke to God in a, in a day when God had been so quiet. Moses was the only one who was speaking to God face to face in that way. And not only that, but it was Moses' prayers that kept them from being consumed by fire. So when Moses tells them, I'm about to die, you, they have to be wondering, is God going to still be with us? This is no good for us that Moses is dying. Well, happily for them, God's answer to that question, will God still be with us? His answer to that question is an emphatic, yes. You bet I will. Uh, over and over again, you'll notice in this passage, Moses tells his people both positively and negatively, he says, verse 8, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. In case you're wondering, let's look at the other side. He will not leave you or forsake you. There's no wiggle room there, right? God will be with you. And not only does he tell them that God would be with them, he also tells them God will do all kinds of stuff for you directly. God's going to continue to work. He's going to continue to act. In the Hebrew, he actually uses extra pronouns to underline the fact that he himself would do it. So you see what I mean in verse 3? It says, the Lord your God himself will go over before you. Verse 4, and the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og. Verse 5, and the Lord will give them, see, yeah, the Lord will do this, the Lord will do this, the Lord will do this. So the third and most important thing that the Lord gives his people to strengthen them and encourage them is himself. He promised he himself would be with them, just like he promised Abraham, just like he promised every generation and in between all the way up to today. And what better thing could God's people ask for than the favor and the presence and the attention and the help of El Shaddai, God Almighty, so all this is to say, at the end of this second point, you're seeing something very typical of God. God was leading his people into deeper waters, but at the same time, he was equipping them with everything they would need to face deeper waters. Because that's what God always does. He does both of those things. He always does both of those things. Here are harder things, and here are the, hard, the things that you need for those harder things. That's our God. Which leads us to our last point for tonight. I just want to help you connect the dots to how this applies today. It's actually very simple how it applies today. You could just say, well, he still does the same thing, but it's actually no surprise that if he worked this way then, the God who doesn't change, that he worked this way in Jesus' day and he works this way today. And I want to, I want to connect those dots for you. It's like, for example, think back to the days leading up to Jesus. You think they really had some of the same difficulties. In those days, there's a definite lack of leadership. Uh, there's no prophet. There was no king. The priests were pretty corrupt. In those days, the people of God faced all kinds of enemies. They, they were under the boot of the Roman Empire. And, of course, human sin has always been rampant. No shortage of that. So what did God give his people back in those days? Well, he gave them what they needed. 
he gave them a leader. Again, he gave them a word. And again, he gave them himself, except like way better. Always way better, way more. Uh, he gave them these things in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. So yeah, in our passage, God gave them Joshua. Joshua's a great leader. He's a wonderful leader. He's faithful. He's zealous. He's mighty in war. Remember, he's a great mediator. He's the perfect mediator that they needed for that time and that place. He led the people to victory against enemies. He led them into their promised inheritance. Well, you look at all that, you say, well, what did God give in the fullness of times? What did he give? In? Well, he, he gave them a better leader. Jesus is perfectly faithful, perfectly zealous, perfectly mighty in war. At the cross, he leads his people to victory over sin in the world, over death and the devil. Through an empty tomb, Jesus leads his people into a heavenly inheritance, a perfect inheritance. Uh, Joshua's name is even the same name as Jesus. Joshua is just Hebrew. Jesus is Greek. Same name, same word. So yeah, God gave his people a better leader. Uh, Joshua, a million point oh. And God gave his people a better word with Jesus, didn't he? God's people, they always need a word from God. They always need to be confronted with a record of who God is, what God's done, what God wants from you. And the people got all that in Moses' day. They got it through the Torah in Moses' day. But they got so much more in Jesus, didn't they? Because in these last days, God has spoken to us in Son, Hebrews says. Jesus himself is the Word made flesh. In Jesus, you see the perfect representation of who God is, of all his mighty works, and his perfect law, what he wants from you. So God gave his people a better word in Jesus. And then when we think of God giving himself in the days of Moses, God gave himself, well, how could you possibly do better than Jesus? Because Jesus is God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, says Colossians. Even better than God's promise that he himself would help Israel in their day is the fact that he himself came down to fight and deliver his people in Jesus, in Son. All this to say, in Jesus' day, God's M.O. was exactly the same. Uh, he called his people to hard things, knew his people needed big things. If they're going to make it, they're going to get eternal salvation. So he gave them exactly what they needed. Exactly what we needed. And I'm actually going to keep going and apply it one step further. Uh, because we can keep applying this to us today. I mean, of course, Jesus is applying it to us today. But, of course, we still have Jesus. But Jesus isn't physically here anymore, is he? I think the apostles must have been like, well, this isn't great. Jesus is leaving. But he's ascended to heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. So what? Has the Lord given us for our hard things today? We upon whom the end of the ages have come. Well, he's still given us leaders. The chief shepherd still gives faithful under-shepherds. Ephesians 4.11 says he's given us gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the, of the body of Christ. He gives us Jesus, and now Jesus' labor spread abroad. Not only has he given us leaders today, he's also given us scriptures. In Moses' day, you've got the first five books. In Jesus' day, you've got the whole Old Testament. The Gospels are being lived out. Acts is being lived out. In our day, we've got a complete canon. You have the entire Old Testament. 
You have the Gospels to tell you what happened. You've got the Epistles to tell you the theology of what happened. You've got Revelation to tell you what's going to happen. In your Bible, you have every divine word that the people of God could ever possibly need. And then finally, God still gives us himself. But even better than Jesus being physically present. You think, well, how is that possible? Well, Jesus says it's better than when he was physically present. He said that if he left, he and his Father would send their spirit. So the spirit of God is actually even more intimately with you because now he lives inside of you. He's still at work. He's still at work. He's changing us, guiding us, empowering us for kingdom service. And so Jesus tells us right before he ascends into heaven, right before this difficult time, this time of tribulation, Jesus tells us, right as he's leaving, right as he's giving us the hard work of kingdom building, Jesus says in, in the same vein of our passage, maybe even in his mind, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age because he's still very much with us. And so all of that is just really building to my conclusion. I'm just really pressing in one point on you tonight. I think if I could just leave you with one thing at the end of this sermon, it's just this. It's that when God calls you to something hard, he'll always give you what you need. What a comfort that is. Sometimes we feel a leadership vacuum, don't we? I don't mean about our church but you've got Jesus in heaven, and I've been thinking lately, some of my preacher heroes, they're getting older, they're dying. Um, our politicians don't always exert strong leadership. So many pastors are compromised. You hear it all the time. And you feel the pressure of your enemies, foreign enemies, saber-rattling, culture heating up against you, the world kind of creeping into your homes, into your pockets, into your family. That's just on the outside. Then on the inside, there's the crookedness of your own heart. There's always indwelling sins. There's always Satan temptations. You think that we, we, we live in the ends of the age. We live in the tribulation. We live in hard things. And it feels increasingly hard. It always seems like it's hard before the end. But over and against all these things, this passage holds out the same thing. A God who never changes. A promise who never, never changes. God always gives his people what they need. If you have harder things today, he'll give you more. You have his son. You have his spirit. You have his word, his complete word. You have leaders he's given you as imperfect as we are. So we may be living in hard days. Just like with Israel, things seem to get harder the closer we get to our final inheritance. But even in these hard days, God has given us exactly what we need to be strong and courageous. He always does. Amen. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, we have heard and believe that you always give us everything we need. Now, we, Lord, we pray for faith to see the things that we need as being worthwhile, faith to avail ourselves of the things that we need, and to grab hold of them, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you yourself would be with us in your word, in your son, in your spirit, that you yourself would be with us, Lord, giving us strength, giving us courage, 
We are pleased to be living in a hard day. We are pleased to be living in this day so long, O Lord, as you are with us. Because you're, you're the one we need. We pray all this tremblingly, but really, in Jesus' name. Amen.